Hey everybody, I'm Dr. Andy Rourke and this is the Uncharted Podcast. Gang, we're going to talk about externship programs for technicians and doctors today. But before we do, got big news. Registration for the Uncharted Online Conference is open. Uncharted Online Conference is going down Thursday, June 11th through Sunday, June 14th. Guys, I got to tell you, this conference is coming in response to the anxiety that most of us have. I think most of us live in a world of uncertainty. We wonder what the future holds. We wonder if the clients are going to have the resources they need uh, to pay for things, if they're going to be too afraid about a recession to want to pay for things. What's going to happen if one of our staff members gets sick? You know, at the vet clinic, we see uh, we see clients who are just over COVID or they've decided that they don't believe in it. I saw a client walk around a barricade and try to open a locked door that had a big sign on it saying, stay outside. And and those people are real and, and our teams are feeling the stress from dealing with us, with them. Um, we have teams that did not want to get split into teams. And then when they were split into teams, they were unhappy about being split into teams. And now that things are starting to change and and we're starting to loosen up a bit, they don't want to go back to being one team. I think a lot of us are wrestling with that. We've got to try to keep a positive culture while we're maintaining social distance. It is really hard. People are wondering what the finances are going to be like in the future. We're starting to navigate the uh, repayment paperwork for the PPP loans. All of these things keep a lot of us awake at night. So what can we do to get some sanity? Guys, the Uncharted Online Conference, it is all about recession-proofing your practice, dealing with the modern world. We've got our Choose Your Own Adventure sessions where you guys, the attendees, are going to make up a third of the content. We're going to have discussion sections, sessions, panel discussions. We'll have um, workshops, lectures, based on what you want to have happen at the conference. That's right, the first night, we're going to dig into what people want, and then we're going to make it happen. You'll have access to our vibrant, positive, uncharted online community, as well as our robust and growing online school. It is a fan flippantastic deal. It is uh, going to be happening soon. We are, we've only got about 40 spots left. Yeah, we just opened it up, but our members had uh, early access, and they grabbed up uh, most of the spots. And so we do have some space left. Jump in there, get it. It's uh, it's going to sell out soon. I'll put the link down below, or you just head out or head over to unchartedvet.com and click conferences. That's unchartedvet.com. Gang, let's get into this episode. And now the Uncharted Podcast. We are supported by Pet Desk. Guys, I don't know about you, but the word telemedicine gives me some anxiety. I mean, what are we talking about here? Multiple programs. We're talking about staff training. We're talking about getting the clients on board. Sounds like a massive headache. But gang, with Pet Desk, you get access to their industry-leading support team. They are going to jump in and help your practice get up and get going with all the support that you need. You'll be doing telemessaging in no time. And I'm talking about things like two-way messaging with clients. That includes photos and videos and coming soon video chat. So you can extend your exams out of the office to where your pet owners are. What's even better is that you get 30 days free with Pet Desk just for being an Uncharted listener. Head over to PetDesk.com slash Uncharted to get started. And we are back. It's me and Stephanie. Teach your children well, Goss. <laughs> oh, oh, Jesus, boy. we're in trouble with this one. Oh, man. <laughs> I am yeah. not. 
I am not teaching my children well. Oh, me neither. Oh, the Rourke Homeschool is going to lose its accreditation, I'm pretty sure. Although I don't remember it getting accredited, it's going to be stripped of whatever accreditation COVID gave to it. Oh, yeah, that's a that's an amen over here, because holy guacamole. I, you know, it's it's funny because I was uh, prior to coming into the veterinary field, I was actually a teacher. So one would think that I would be very prepared for this situation. <laughs> And you're like, this is why I left. Let me tell you. Well, let me tell you, there is a dramatic difference between teaching high school kids and college students and teaching my eight and 10 year olds because (laughs) I have zero idea how to do the majority of their assignments. Like, give me university level courses all day long and I would probably be fine trying to teach my eight and 10 year old how to do common core math or how to write a basic essay. And I'm like, wait, did I ever learn this stuff? <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I, uh, hot mess. <laughs> I, uh, I'm not having so much of a problem with the, with the teaching part as much as the personal space part. My, oh. uh, my eight year old has decided that she loves me. Which is great, except that she just she sits in my lap all the time. She like wants to stroke my face. If you, if uh-huh. your, if your kids are yeah. just like like yeah. they just want to like play with your hair, and yeah. I'm one of those people who has like a bubble. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like I one arm's length from me. Like that's my wife is like I'm like just like she's like wants to put her arm around my waist. And I'm like stop it. You're in my bubble. Like just I love you step back two feet, you know, like in, in the not times of COVID six feet sounds great. Um, and she, so anyway, she's just like stroking my face. At, like I'm typing and she's like, dad. And she's scratching my back. And after all, I'm like, stop touching me. Get away. From, like, I love you. I love you from three. See how far my hand reaches. If I can smack you, you're too close. Oh my God, you and I are frighteningly similar. Oh yeah. Dad. <laughs> let me sit on you. Like just don't uh-huh. sit anywhere else in the house. Uh-huh. Well, and and I think I came to a realization this week um that hit me actually really hard, which is that I love my children. I love being a parent. I I love my kids. Right now, so many of us, even those of us who were meant to be um, stay-at-home parents, which I absolutely was not equipped to be a stay-at-home parent, and I admire the hell out of all of my friends who Mm -hmm. are stay-at-home parents normally, um, none of us are getting any break. And, like, for for me, I think that's, that's the hardest part is, like, normally the kids go to school and I get to... Um, have, you know, even 20 minutes by myself in the morning where nobody's in the house, nobody's touching me, nobody's asking me questions, nobody wants something from me. And I have realized this week, like how profoundly impactful it is that I have zero personal space and zero alone time right now. Oh, yeah. None. Oh, yeah. Now, my my thing is, uh, you know, I've said for years, if you do two solid hours of good parenting in a day, that's a great day. 
I mean, you really should be given a medal because that's two hours of being actively engaged with a little person, mm -hmm. right? Well, my two hours are over by 9 a.m. Right. And the rest of the day, I'm just hanging on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, when they go to school and then they have like an after school activity and they come home at 6.45 or 6.30 and I made dinner and then I do homework with them and then they go to bed at 8.30, uh, I'm crushing it. You know, you're like, wow, super dead. But now they're here all the time. I'm doing the same amount of effort and it just feels like I'm failing all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I am right there with you. So for everybody who's listening and feeling that, I think uh, I think it's important to just recognize it is okay to yeah. say if <laughs> if I can reach out and smack you, you are too close to me right now. <laughs> get out of my space bubble. <laughs> yeah, get out of my space bubble. All right, let's. Speaking of space bubbles, let's talk about the practice. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm excited for this one. I think um, it is that time of year where there are a lot of practices that have uh, graduating veterinary students, that have graduating tech students, mm -hmm. that have students that are heading into their final year in school. There's a lot of practices out there that participate in internship or externship programs. And we got um, a letter in the mailbag from one of those students. And um, so I'm excited to talk about this one. This one is from a vet tech student um, who is going to be graduating this month. But um, I think this is super applicable to all of our vet students as well. So um, this one came from, what are we, what are we going to name this person? This one came from Maya. Maya, and, okay. And Maya said, unlike uh, many of my classmates, I have, I actually have five years of general practice experience before going out to do my internships for my last semester of school. So this is a, this is a vet, a tech student who was an assistant, then went to school and is, is getting their technician license. Mm -hmm. So Maya says, I'm doing my first internship at a specialty hospital in ER and intensive care and um, emergencies. Uh, never go away. And I wanted a chance to step outside of the general practice world and get some new experience. So the problem that Maya is facing in this internship is that she is not being paired with licensed technicians, which is a requirement of her school. And she's also never with the same person. And so it makes it really confusing to understand the flow of how things are done. I'm finding that there's a lot of miscommunication because other nurses and or technicians don't fully explain in detail the how and why of what they're doing when they're doing something. And it's getting very confusing and overwhelming. Throughout my shift, I have to find someone doing something and ask them to walk me through it. The doubt, the significant downside and what Maya's really struggling with is that she's feeling like she's only getting walked through where the person currently is in the process, not the entire process. So it sounds like this is a practice that has decided that they're going to take an intern, but really maybe doesn't have a plan that they're actually enabling to have happen in the practice. So they're, Maya is not paired with a licensed technician. She's getting only pieces of uh, processes and um, procedures within the practice. She's not getting walked through something start to finish. And she's also hearing from multiple people in the practice that what she has now learned part of is wrong because this other person does it another 
another way. Right. So she's being relegated to walking dogs, getting temperatures, heart rate, respirations rates. She's not really getting to do a lot of learning. And she's super frustrated with being made to basically be the kennel person. And she said, I recognize and I know that I have to start at the bottom and build trust with these nurses, but I really just want someone to teach me. And so she's wondering if we have any advice for how to handle being in an internship, how to talk to supervisors in a professional way when when an intern feels like they're not getting what they need and they would like redirection. She said, I, I don't want to come off the wrong way. I don't want to make a bad impression, but I also definitely don't want to get yelled at for not doing things correctly. And mostly above all else, she wants to be able to learn. Yeah. I hope that she gave this feedback at the end of her internship or externship. Me too. I mean, yeah, uh, this is excellent feedback for the practice. I, I mean, hopefully the person receiving it is in a mature enough place to hear it. Yeah. Um, but this is excellent feedback. So let's talk about, um, let's talk, well, let's talk about the clinic first. Yep. And so let's speak to our clinics or clinic owners or clinic, or ma clinic managers. This is very common. Uh, you see it with vet student externs and you see it with vet tech externs. And I yep. think a lot of practices go, oh, you know, it'd be great if we had vet techs come an extern, then that could be a pipeline for us to hire new technicians and they would like it and we'd be great. And they could just come and see what we're doing and that'll be fantastic. Mm -hmm. That is a flawed mentality. You know, it, it, it is. I, yeah. This doesn't, this, there's a spectrum, right? There's, uh, there's on one end of the spectrum, it is just open the door and let them in, in the morning and they fend for themselves and you let them go home in the evening. And the other end is we have a, tr a manual and we have a welcome party and we have, you know, training and we have multiple instructors lined up through the day. And, and that's probably not feasible for most functioning practices either. Mm -hmm. The best path is in the middle. Right. But it, in this case, we're too darn close to just having a feral vet tech student. Right. Uh, you know, loose in the practice. Oh my God. I love that analogy. It's so true. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if, if you're a clinic and you're taking vet tech or vet student externs, mm -hmm. you're going to have to have a plan for them. Yes. I mean, you, you need to know that students are a lot of work. Like there are yeah. a lot of and you just don't realize it's so easy to say to the email, totally come or on the phone. Yes, yeah. you should be. Here. Yeah. You should realize that training someone and educating someone, teaching someone and giving them a good experience. It is an investment it is a commitment on your part. It is not easy. You have to want to do it. And that can either be because you genuinely want to help a person in the world or because you genuinely want to, um, Teach. build a pipeline and, uh, you know, to, to, re to recruit mm -hmm. veterinarians or vet techs or because you genuinely want to teach all those things are fine, mm -hmm. but, but it better be worth it to you to do this because it is, it is more work than you think. And, and I really do think that so many of the practices out there when they're on the phone or they're responding to that email really are coming from a place of good intention. Yep. They really are thinking, Oh, well, this would be a good way to get to know more vet students, or this would be a good way to get to know more, you know, technicians. And they're not thinking like, how am I going to screw this person and not help their education? That's, that's not, that's not the way that they're 
looking at it, but I I also think at the same time that there are very few practices out there that that really put enough thought and energy into the uh, the co- committing to it because there are so many of us that don't really think through exactly how much work a, a student is and so i think it's super important to from the clinic perspective look at honestly at what you actually can commit to and know that saying no to someone is not is not necessarily a bad thing and is not going to be hurtful. If you really don't have the capacity, you're going to do more harm by saying yes. If you don't have the capacity, than you will by saying no. It took me years to stop taking vet student externs. And it's because I really do want to give back and I really do want to support mm-hmm. the vet students. Mm-hmm. But then I just had multiple weeks of experiences where wonderful people were, were with me and man, it was so challenging. And I yeah. just, my productivity fell by 30 or 40%. Um, you know what I mean? I, I'm, I was trying to engage with these people in the evening, uh, and, you know, and talk to them about their experience and be helpful. And it's just, it was a massive undertaking. And then if I was traveling, um, you know what I mean? It was just, it mm-hmm. just, it was so hard and it really sucks for me to say no, but I, I came to a point where I had to say no. And now I'm trying to figure out how to go back and do something else that that would work. I don't know. Maybe it's taking a couple at one time and just really doing a great job with a group for a week or two. I don't I don't know. But um, but man, it sucked to say no. But it had to happen. Yeah. I mean, you think about if you're doing a thing that you know how to do and you're efficient at doing that thing versus doing that thing and teaching someone else to do that thing. That's a, a 50 to 75% increase in effort, mm-hmm. you know, and in time. And so it just bogs you down. And I think that a lot of the practices say, oh, well, we'll just have them come. And then whoever has time to work with them will just pick it up and work with them. And that's that's just a crappy program. Yeah. And that's where you end up exactly here is where the student goes, I don't know who I'm supposed to talk to and you know, no one is responsible for me and -hmm. people get frustrated when I ask questions Mm -hmm. and I always find them in the middle of a thing. Mm -hmm. And so it ends up, it just, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work. It's, you can't do that and provide a meaningful learning experience. Well, and I think back to, I, I think about it in the simplest terms. I, I tend to think about it, from the perspective of being in school. So when, when you were in grade school and you had a substitute teacher and you started a lesson one day with a substitute teacher, and then the next day you had a different substitute teacher and they were picking up the same set of lesson plans, but they were teaching you a different piece of it. Your learning is far more broken when there isn't consistency Mm. across the lesson, both from who is delivering the lesson as well as what is being delivered content wise. And I think that that is the same problem that we have in our practices when we're expecting people to just teach as they go. You Mm -hmm. might have a super slow day where you, you could actually feasibly show someone something start to finish and actually truly teach them the proper way. But if you're asking your team to teach a lesson to a student 
on how to, you know, how to properly set up and, and run blood samples on the IDEX machine. Like normally as a technician, that's something super speedy. I can, I can bang that out in less than 10 minutes. If I'm trying to teach someone truly how to do the whole process start to finish, you're talking about a 20 or 30 minute process. And so if you're asking me as a technician to do that in the middle of a super busy day where there's three emergencies waiting for blood work to be run, I am going to shortchange that learner every time because Mm -hmm. my focus is going to be on getting the blood work done for my doctors who are waiting on on lab results for their critical patients. And that's a lose-lose situation for everyone. Right. And there are some learning um, pieces that may have to be sacrificed just because it's a functioning practice and we have to get work done. So I don't want people to be like, get this impression that we're like, you need to be hundred percent focused on teaching for two weeks. Mm-hmm. No, you, no, but the, there is a, there is a balance there. You know, the, yeah. the other part, again, I put out for practices is some people are teachers and they like to teach and they want to teach. And some people are not, they yeah. don't like to teach. They're not good at teaching. They just want to do the work yeah. acting like everyone is equal in their ability to, to work with a novice or to educate or to train. Well, that's ridiculous. You know? And just because someone is really good at something does not mean that they are a teacher. And I think that that's one of the other things where we shoot ourselves in the foot as a practice is we say, hey, Andy is our cat doctor and he's super great with cats and he is a a Jedi master. He should be able to teach all the new students how to become a Jedi master. Well, just because you're good at it doesn't mean that you have the skill set to turn around and teach other people how to do that. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a that's a great point. And and we see it all the time. People can be wonderful doctors, Mm -hmm. not great mentors. Mm -hmm. And there's other people who are pretty average doctors mm-hmm. but they're wonderful mentors yes yeah you know and and that's i just i think that's something to to know all right so so let's put put this all together if you're a clinic and you're going to have a tech extern or a vet student extern mm-hmm. you should have some objectives for them mm-hmm. what are we doing what are they going to get out of this you can ask them it's not wrong to straight up ask yeah what do you hope to get out of your time with us mm-hmm. And I think that is the easiest step you can take towards success. Straight up ask them, and, what do you want? And also, I think in addition to asking them what they want, it is imperative that you ask what are the requirements of their school program? Because as Maya said, one of the requirements of her program is that she's being paired with licensed technicians. If you can't meet that requirement, you need to know that up front. Yep. Yep. I completely agree. So that that's great. That's that's. Good as far as knowing that you can meet their needs and mm-hmm. and doing your best to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, figure out there there needs to be a point person for every external intern. There needs yep. to be someone who they can go to and say, "Can you teach me this?" or "I'm having a problem with that," or "Who do I talk to about this?" And oftentimes the owner says, "That'll be me," and then they're then they're gone, you right. know, or they're in surgery all day. It's like, no, right. figure this out. Who should be their point person? Who that they can talk to, get feedback from, you know, um, communicate with. Who who will who will sort of be the one to pair them with other people if they're going to work with somebody else for the day. But they should they should not feel homeless. Mm-hmm. They should feel like they have a a defined touch point. And if that person is not going to be there, they need to say the day before, "I'm not going to be here tomorrow." Right. Uh, you know, Cheryl will be your your touch point tomorrow. I love it. So there has and- to be a plan. Yep. And then you got, you got to get your staff on board, you know, 
just dumping a student in and being like, guys, surprise, there's a new person. And you're responsible for training and teaching this person who you're probably never going to see again. Like they, they have to, they have to feel some level of ownership or desire to do this. And it, and if your staff is like, we don't want to do it. We just, we don't want to do it. Yeah. Then that's probably a good reason to pass and say, yeah, yeah we, you know, the staff, we don't, we don't have capacity or, uh, the staff is not on board with uh, bringing somebody new in right now. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm laughing because I have I've made that mistake in in my career. I have, with the best of intentions, in the fall, had a conversation with a student about their school for the spring and said, "Yes, we would love to do that," and then promptly completely forgot about it until it came time for them to show up, and there was there was the staff was not things had changed in the practice and the team was not on board and it was like um okay fed fed to the wolves and i i felt incredible incredible guilt for my team for the student for everybody and i i anybody who knows me knows that i am going to um smack myself harder and longer than anybody else could um, you know, yell at me or make me feel guilty about it. And I just felt awful and that, but it taught me a lot and it, and it's why I really am passionate about having this conversation because I think it's a mistake that so many of us honestly make in practice and yet we don't really take the opportunity to learn from it the way that we could. (laughs) No, I agree. I think that the the tech schools and the vet schools have a real responsibility here. Mm -hmm. And when Mm -hmm. I talk, when I talk to vet students and they say, how do you pick an externship? I tell them the number one thing, the number one thing should be a recommendation from someone who has done an externship there. Yeah, that, that is really it. I mean, because you it is there's nothing else you can tell. There are amazing practices that will give you a terrible experience. And there are just tiny little practices that you would never know. But boy, the people running that practice give a crap. Yep. And they are and they are good teachers and they yep. really want someone to be there. And you will get to do a ton of stuff with great supervision and mentorship. Be the best experience you could possibly have. You yeah. just cannot look at anything else and know what your experience is going to be. And so if someone says to you, I did an externship at this practice and it was really great. Mm-hmm. I, to me, that cut, that is the number one thing you should put weight on. And, and it should jump to the top of your list. And so what is the responsibility of the tech schools and the vet schools? I, I believe strongly they should facilitate uh, students who have done externships communicating what their experience was like to future, uh, to future students. And that does not, that means in a productive way. And so, for example, the experience this tech has had has probably ended at the time that we're making this podcast because mm-hmm. they were doing it and they wrote mm-hmm. to us. And so... Right. If this is never passed on to future tech students and every year there's a tech student who goes to the same practice mm-hmm. and has this same frustrating experience, mm-hmm. that sucks. Yeah. You know, that sucks. And it's not bashing the practice because they, uh, everybody's fighting a battle we don't know anything about, but it would save people so many heartaches and headaches if that experience was passed on you know and that feedback should be passed on to the practice so that they can they can make changes you know yeah yeah 
So, yeah, and I, I think it's important for the schools, too, to be um, really um, intentional about their communication with the practice because a lot of times um, when they reach out, they're talking maybe to the practice owner who's not necessarily going to be the one coordinating things. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there's a lot of missed opportunities from the school's part to really actually find out is is the clinic equipped to meet their requirements and is there a plan in place for the student to succeed because if if the school is the one reaching out and trying to help place students and a lot of vet tech schools are in particular do it this way is that they reach out to local clinics and are like hey we have an, an a student who lives in your area and they are looking for an extern site is this something you would be interested in i think that the school has a lot of missed opportunity there to really find out who they should be talking to, and is this practice equipped to meet the requirements of their particular program? Yeah. The system is kind of innately flawed, honestly, um, in that this is a, the school is asking a favor. You know what I mean? Right. The, like the practices aren't getting compensated for taking and training students or right. investing into them. Right. So really, it's you're asking people to do a favor, to do something, you know, that probably is not going to turn into any benefit for them in the long term. It's probably right. not. Um, right. and, and then we're talking about the requirements they have to meet and, you know, and you and I are here talking about what they need to do and how much work it is to train someone. It's, it is a, it is a weird system. You know what I mean? Yeah. How do you as a tech school reach out and say, all right, we want you to volunteer your staff and your building and your time. And we want you to train this person for us and let us tell you what requirements you're going to need to meet. You know right. what I mean? And, and how you're going to support this person. At some point you go, this doesn't make any, this is, it, it doesn't right. make any sense. Right. And so that's why we end up in a lot of these things where the, the schools take a very passive role because the practices are doing them a favor by taking these people. And so that's why I say there's an inherent flaw in the system. And I don't know how to fix that, but I just think it's important to kind of put that on the table when we talk about why externships often go the way they do. So what about, what about Maya and what about the students, whether they're a tech student or a vet student looking to go into an, an externship or an internship program? What, it, what do they need to think about? So, like I said, the, the big thing for me is um, start with why, you know, why, why, are, why are you, why are you going here? Why, why are you doing this? What are you looking for? Be intentional about what, what you pick. A lot of the people um, are either looking at potentially living in a geographic area. And so this is in their mind, a two week working job interview, which is why giving feedback can sometimes be hard or, or it's an area of specialty, you know, or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so yeah, so I guess the first thing is start with why the, the next thing I would say is go and say, Hey, do you have a lot of externs? What uh, do you have a, do you have any sort of a formalized program for externs? And some practices will break out a notebook and they'll be like, here's what we do with externs. That is a huge deal because these people have thought about what you're going to be doing. And, you know, they've obviously done experience and somebody at some point compiled a notebook. So it was a big enough deal for them to do that. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that there aren't practices that don't have a program who aren't mm -hmm. wonderful, but mm -hmm. we're just trying to look for signs that indicate uh, this is probably not going to be a bad decision. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing I, I, I said was really the greatest weight that I put on anything is, hey, friends, 
has anybody done an externship in this area? Right. And, and what did you think of it? Like the, for me, those are the, those are the big things. Yep. You yep. got anything to add to that? No, I, I think that that's super, super smart. I think, um, I think in addition to asking them about the program, I think another thing that's really important is who, who is, who is your, who is your home base? Who is your person? Who's going to be in charge of you? Yeah. Who's going to be in charge of you? And what does that look like? If they're telling, if, if you're Maya and a practice, you know, Andy's practice is telling you that I, Stephanie am in charge of you, but I'm going to work. Monday through Thursday days, and they're asking you to be on Tuesday through Friday night shifts, then how is that going to work that I'm your, I'm your person, I'm your home base, if we're never going to see each other except for 20 minutes for rounds when, when I go off shift and you come on shift. So I, I think that asking who your person is and what does that look like is really important as well. Yeah. No, I agree. All right. What if we're Maya? What, what does she do? So she's in this position. She's at this externship. Um, it's not going well. All the reasons that we described, all that stuff is going on. What should she do? So that's a great question. I think probably the first question I would ask is who who does who can she talk to? And yeah. so ultimately, I think that the the best for me always feedback is best given to the person who can do something about it. Mm -hmm. So I think if she does have a home-based person, if she does have a, you know, Stephanie who's been assigned to her, then starting with that person and having a feedback conversation with them is great. But if Mm -hmm. that person can't or won't help her um, figure out a solution and, and implement change, she owes it to herself to get the best possible experience that she can out of this, take it, take it to the next person, go talk to the practice manager, talk to the practice owner, go, go above and beyond. If you're, if you're a local level person is not giving you the, the help that you need, because um, for the reasons that you mentioned, Andy, she, she's going to have a less than stellar experience. And even if she doesn't or hasn't given the feedback during the course of her program, um, to implement change for her, it can potentially help implement change for other people, either for them to realize what challenges they've had and try and fix them or to keep other students from having the same experience that she's had. Yeah. I mean, and I think a lot of people are nervous because they go, well, I might want a job here. And if I say something, then that will poison the water or, or I won't be able to to do it. And my thought is if you're having a bad experience and the place will not take any feedback or they are unwilling to change to help you have a better experience. Is that a place that you're going to want to work? Right. Anyway. And right. So that that's kind of how I f- feel about it. So, and, yeah. and from a, from a manager's perspective, oh my gosh, if I had an intern who was like, Hey, I have some feedback and was, was vulnerable and really shared their experience, even if what they were telling me, um, was not necessarily what I wanted to hear. For me, it's like having a conversation with a client who's upset, right? Like it's not necessarily something I want to hear, but that's a learning opportunity. And when a when a client or a intern shares their experience and their feedback with you, oh my gosh, I am so appreciative of the opportunity to say we screwed this up. How can I try and fix this in the future? And so if if Maya was my intern, I would be like, I am so sorry. How can we try and make it better 
in the future, but also from a term, from a perspective of higher ability, I would, that would absolutely not black mark you in any way with me. If anything, it's going to make me more inclined to look at you seriously as a candidate, because I know that you're willing to be communicative and you're willing to have a, a hard conversation. And that speaks volumes about you to, from my perspective as a, as a candidate. Yeah, I agree. So let's go talk to this person, right? Let's go talk to our contact. Mm -hmm. let's have a safe conversation, right? So, so safe. Can I smile at this person? Can I sit next to them? Mm -hmm. If Maya is raging and fuming mm -hmm. and she bursts into the office with the flaming sword of justice, <laughs> this is, this is going to go badly, right? right. <laughs> so just deep breaths. Yeah. This is okay. We can fix it. Let's just, let's be nice to the person who agreed to have us here out of the goodness of their heart, you right. know? Um, so safe, um, I can smile. I can sit next to this person. I'm going to assume good intent, right? Here's what I think. Uh, and I can imagine this very easily. So Maya says, I'm seeing all these things and I'm getting dropped in the middle and I'm not seeing things from start to finish. I can absolutely see the, see the contact manager on the other side going, this is great. She's seeing all sorts of things. You know, she's seeing some of this and some of that, and we're giving her a very diverse experience. And all day long, she's seeing where the action is. Right. And I totally get that. I can see me having that thought of let's keep them busy. Let's keep right. them where the action is. Right. And so assume good intent. They may very well be trying to give you what they think you want or what they think is best. Right. And that, that I mean, it's so common. So again, like I would not be like, oh, they did this because they don't care because they don't understand. It may be that the way that you, Maya, learn is different from the way that that person learns. And so they're teaching you the way they would like to be taught, which is exciting stuff and seeing the things that are actually actively happening. Um, yeah. And so can I share a, sh share a tidbit about how I have learned to share assuming good intent and what that looks like mm -hmm. in conversation? Because I think that's this is a really hard thing for a lot of people to express. And so for you, I think you gave a great example, Andy. I, I if I was Maya, what I would say is, I am sure. Um, that part of you guys' thought process was wanting to make sure that I see a lot of things and I am so appreciative. I've really gotten a chance to see a lot of the action and I'm really struggling to feel like I'm able to connect the dots from start to finish when I am seeing one piece and then someone's like, oh, come over here. I'm doing this other thing and I'm getting to see a lot of things, but I'm really struggling to see something start to finish. Could you help me be able to have some consistency and stick with something so I really can learn a process from start to finish. Yeah. When when you say it that way, you are telling them, look, I know, even if you don't know that to be true, you are assuming their good intent. You are telling them what you think that they are doing and why they're doing it and saying, I, appre I ap appreciate you trying to come at it from that perspective. And at the same time, I am stating what I actually need from them um, mm -hmm. to start that part of the conversation. And that's a hard thing for a lot of people to do. And it's where a lot of those these conversations kind of go off the rails in the sense of um, very easily misconstruing the intent or feeling like someone is intentionally 
making the experience less than less than what it could be. Yeah, I agree. So that's assume good intent. F is uh, has this person been set up to fail? Maybe the tech school did not communicate what you're supposed to get mm-hmm. out of this. Mm-hmm. Maybe they got no information. Maybe they got the email and they didn't open it up. Maybe right. they've been set to fail. <laughs> um, right. What if this is my fault? If I'm Maya, have I communicated my needs? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Have I said what I wanted to get out of this? Or have mm-hmm. I explained uh, the, the the learning style that works best with me? Mm-hmm. So maybe some of this is my fault that I can own. And I always try to own what I can because mm-hmm. I have some power over that. And the last thing is E is what is the end result that I want? And you put your finger on it, which is, could we do it a different way? Could for the, for going forward. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm not, I don't want them to apologize for the experience Mm -hmm. I've had before. That's, that doesn't Mm -hmm. do any good. Um, it's been great. I've seen a bunch of stuff and can I invest the rest of my time in connecting the dots, seeing things from start to finish. So I see how all this stuff fits together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I I think creating that safety net and being able to say to them, I appreciate being able to see all of the things. I would also really appreciate the opportunity to focus in on a handful of things. And that's an opportunity for Maya to say, these are things that you've now shown me that I'm really interested in. And I would like to try and see more of and and um, tell them what you tell them what you need. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think reading Maya's uh, note to us, it seems to me like she's seen a lot of things. Um, you know, she's kind of been in the action, which is great. What she is looking for is a start to finish experience where she really understands where things come from and where they go. And then the other part of that is she's really looking for an ability to refine her advanced technical skills. Mm-hmm. And that's a nice way of saying I don't want to take temperatures all day long. Mm-hmm. I would like to do some of the skill work that I have been in school learning. Mm-hmm. Can I do that with supervision? Mm-hmm. And so those would be the, the things that I would ask. But yeah, I, I I think that's I think that's what she I think that's what she says. And and I think oh my gosh, I think you just hit such a powerful and important point, Andy, which is that from a clinic's perspective. The reality is if you are committing to take an intern or an extern, whether it's a vet student or a tech student, they're there for a learning opportunity. They're they're not there to to clean kennels and right. take dogs out to pee. That and and so many times that becomes the default. And we're really we're shortchanging ourselves in the long run as a clinic and we're also significantly shortchanging that intern and I recognize from a tech perspective or from a, a, par- a support staff perspective why should this person who's only here for two weeks get to do all of the fun stuff why should we get stuck with the grunt work the reality is is that that's the whole point of them being there is so that they have an opportunity to learn those things. And I'm not saying that you can't ask them to clean a kennel or you can't ask them to take Fluffy out to pee when there's not enough hands to do it. But if that's all you're giving them to do, you are shortchanging them tremendously, but you're also shortchanging yourself as a clinic in the long run. Yeah, completely agree. Good deal, man. I think this is good. That's, that's how I'd handle it. Yeah. I hope – I really – I. I really hope that Maya gave some feedback to her practice. And Maya, if you're listening and you didn't have those conversations before your internship ended with your practice, I would really, really encourage you to reach out to them and give them some feedback 
post experience. And it's as simple as saying, hey, I've had a couple weeks now since my, um, you know, experience with the clinic ended. And I've really had some time to think and reflect on it. And I would really love to share some feedback that I have for you. Would you be open to having a conversation or setting up a time to meet um, or, or whatever? And really do share that that feedback with the clinic, um, whether it's whether it's good or bad, it's always an opportunity for them to learn and grow. Yeah. Mentally, uh, I completely agree. Reaching back out would be wonderful. I would make sure that I'm not thinking of this as a review, right. like three stars. I did right. not receive this. You know, <laughs> I did get that, but I did not get this. Right. Would, would not recommend um, <laughs> that. That's not what we're writing. Right. Think of this in a developmental way where you are writing to constructively review what happened and help them provide a superior uh, extern intern experience in the future. Yeah, you know, so that that's that's my thoughts. All right, cool. Yeah. All right, Steph, thanks so much. It. You're welcome. Have a great week, you guys. Talk to you later, buddy. Bye. Bye. And that is our episode, guys. I hope you liked it. I hope you got something out of it. If you've got a question for me and Stephanie, please, please, please fire it our way. The email address is podcast at unchartedvet.com. That's podcast at unchartedvet.com. Give us enough background information so that we can dig into it and we will get to work. Gang, be safe. Have a wonderful week. We'll be talking to you soon. Bye.